Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Oh, the sky comes falling down for you, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Welcome back everyone to Primary Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr. Dimitri and today we'll be talk- talking about a condition called spondylolisthesis. And one of the reasons I'm talking about this is because I had a patient recently who was suffering from this. He was a gentleman in his late 20s who used to be a professional hockey player who actually had to stop playing hockey because of worsening back pain. Um, he had stopped uh, playing hockey and then I ended up having him as a patient and came in saying that you know his back pain has come coming back. And we decided to do an x-ray of, of the lumbar spine and we saw spondylolisthesis. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about it because it, it's certainly relatively common to younger athletes that are uh, playing professional sports. What is spondylolisthesis? Very simply put, it's anterior slippage of one of the vertebral bodies relative to the other vertebral bodies. And usually it occurs around the L5-S1 area. The reason why it occurs there is if you look at the anatomy of the spine, that area, the, the, the spine is actually facing downwards and anteriorly, more fragile to slippage in that area because of the facing downwards and anteriorly. It is actually a condition that usually starts in childhood. They've looked at prevalence rates, and you could say 6% of people have this condition. You know, that's 1 in 20, which, which, which is quite common if you think about it. Uh, but in some populations, it can be as high as 25%. They've seen some Inuit populations. In Canada, um, approaching 25%. There is a genetic predisposition. So first-degree relatives, if, for example, if your mother had it or your father had it, brother, sister, then you're at increased risk of having it. And there's a bit of a female bias, so a two-to-one female bias. So females tend to have it more than males. Now, there's six different types of spondylolisthesis. Uh, type number one is your ismic. This is the most common cause of people under 50. And it occurs because of something called bilateral spondylosis. What do I mean by spondylosis? Spondylosis is a defect of, of a structure called the, the pars interticularis. If you take a look at an anatomy book, the pars interticularis is a piece of bone that connects the anterior part of the vertebrae to the posterior part of the vertebrae on both sides. So if that has a defect or it fractures, both, both parts is fractured. You can see how uh, the loss of support will cause the anterior vertebral body to go forwards. This is the one that you see in athletes. Studies show that 47% of young athletes have parse interticularis injuries, especially if they're, in, they're playing a sport which has a lot of repetitive lumbar movements. So if you're talking about football players, gymnasts, hockey players, and soccer players. Obviously, if the, there's a defect there, these, these are at higher risk of having a spondylolisthesis because uh, there's a defect, well, it might fracture, and then the body might actually move forward and cause slippage. That is why if you have a young athlete... Now, what, I, what do I mean by young athlete? I mean, anybody under the age of 20 to me is a young athlete. If you have a young athlete coming in with worsening or with low back pain 
you could consider that it may be something more than a strain, lumbar strain. You may be actually dealing with spondylolisthesis, or in fact, you may be dealing with scoliosis. So just like if you, if you have an older person coming with low back pain, you're a bit more aware that there's something, there might be something more uh, severe than just a strain. Younger people coming with low back pain, again, keep your differential broad. Again, low back pain due to strain is usually normal in your late 20s to early 30s. Not so in your early 10s or 15s. So first cause is ismic, and that's the one in young people. Your second cause is called degenerative. And that's the one that's more common in older people, people over 50. And usually it's caused, again, by, by loss of the structure, supporting structure of the vertebrae. So you have osteoarthritis of the facet joints or degenerative disc disease of the facet joints. Then you have something called congenital. The, so actually 20% of causes of spondylolisthesis is congenital. And you're dealing with either malformation of the facet joints at birth or something like spina bifida. Now, both degenerative and congenital causes of spondylolisthesis tend to have higher chance of cauda equina syndrome and nerve root compression. Remember, the cauda equina is found in the lower part of the spine. Hence, because spondylolisthesis occurs in the lower part of the spine, that's why it makes sense that cauda equina can occur. Then you have something called iatrogenic. Iatrogenic is a post-op complication. And actually, 5% of spondylolisthesis have a, a nitrogenic cause. So we're talking about uh, somebody does a laminectomy, and because this this complexity of surgery, the the vertebral body gets damaged, and then you have slippage. Then you have pathologic, which is more rare. Usually, it's it could be due to tumors or cancer, myeloma, for example, uh, prostate cancer, osteoporosis, osteomyelitis, as well as some congenital conditions such as Marfan's and Ehlers-Danlos. And finally, you have the traumatic, which is extremely rare because you need quite a bit of force exerted on the spine to cause slippage. And you may see this in motor vehicle accidents. And usually it's associated with multiple fractures of the spine because of the force it takes. So again, to summarize, you have your ismic, which is spondylosis-based and common in athletes, younger athletes. You have degenerative, which is, again, based because of degeneration of facet joints, so usually in older people. You have your congenital, which is quite common cause. You have nitrogenic, which is usually post-op, and you have both pathologic and traumatic causes. Spondylolisthesis presents with intermittent low back pain. Now, only 10% of patients who have spondylolisthesis will come in and report symptoms. And again, it's because it's intermittent. So they, they might not find that it affects their function enough if they're just for them to come to the doctor's office. So they, they just might, they might, might ignore it and just live with it. 50% of, of patients with, do, who do present with, to the, the, the doctor's office may have neurological symptoms that suggest sciatica or radiculopathy. So we're talking about shooting pain. Um, remember that L5 and S1, which are the most commonly affected areas, uh, well, L5s will radiate from the lateral side of the upper leg down to the big toe, and S1 from the buttock down to the lateral malleolus. But if you have pain radiating down there, think about the L5 and S1. It might actually present a claudication. Uh, you have some, some cases, and you remember your claudication presents with uh, burning pain going down the appropriate dermatome that stops at rest. Cauda equina is relatively rare, even with spondylolisthesis, but 
remember that we're dealing with somebody coming in with urinary retention, stool incontinence, and saddle anesthesia. It's quite urgent. Neurosurgeon on call, you need to call them if you see somebody going, presenting with that. Just to remind you, it's mostly observed in degenerative and congenital causes of this condition. And of course, a lot of the times, because it's because such a slow percentage of patients will come to your office to complain of symptoms, a lot of times you will find that it's an incidental finding on imaging. On physical examination, you might find that the patient has vertebral tenderness. So when you're doing percussion of vertebrae or pushing down the vertebrae, they might have tenderness over the L, over the L4, L5, and S1 area. The straight leg raise may be positive because, again, you're testing L4 to S1 with a straight leg raise. The femoral stretch would rarely be positive because the femoral stretch is testing L2 and L4, and it's rare for the spondylolisthesis to affect those levels. On examination, you can sometimes see a step off in the spine. This is really in severe cases. If you take a look at the spine, you can actually see uh, so almost like a 90-degree angle step, like a step on the spine because of this, the slippage of the disc. I haven't seen one myself, but you can look at pictures online to see what I mean. So while history and physical is suggestive, the biggest, I mean, I think the biggest finding on history is a younger athlete coming in with intermittent low back pain, to be frank with you. But again, the actual diagnosis is based on imaging. So it's not history-based, it's not clinical, it's more imaging-based. And your gold standard is the lumbar x-ray. You don't need to be fancy and get MRIs or CT scans unless the patient has significant neurological symptom. But a simple lumbar x-ray can tell you a lot about this condition. So it can tell you which way the, the disc is slipped. So you can have anterolisthesis, which is the anterior slippage, or retrolisthesis, which is the posterior, which is extremely uncommon. In fact, I don't even know how it would make sense for a posterior slip disc unless it's some kind of traumatic injury anteriorly. It also tells you the grade, the grade of the spondylolisthesis. And this is the magnitude of displacement of the superior vertebrae compared to the interior vertebrae. It's given as a percentage. So your grade 1 is 0 to 25%. Grade 2 is 25 to 50%. Your grade 3 is 50 to 75%. Grade 4 is 75 to 100 And grade 5 is 100%. Grade 5, you probably, uh, the patient's probably lost. In grade 5, pretty much, uh, you know, a fracture of the spine. <laughs> you see in the movie, sometimes people get picked up in the movie and and uh, then they get dropped on 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 somebody's leg and the spine cracks. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's probably grade five spondylolisthesis. So diagnosis is specifically image based here. In terms of treatment, again to remind you, only ten percent of patients will require it. But the big one, the big one in younger individuals is to rest temporarily or have a full rest from the sport. That's what happened to my patient. He ended up stop. He ended up. Um, deciding not to continue with hockey because anytime he would play as, as a young gentleman, he would have a lot of back pain. So he stopped completely. And now the condition came back a couple of years, maybe 10 years later, because he started playing sports again. He can do back bracing. Uh, physiotherapy can do stabilizing back exercises. So specifically we're talking about working the core because it's ultimately your core muscles that protect your back. So abdominal muscle, works, things like Pilates, the plank, vacuuming your abdominal, so on and so forth, but they have specific exercises that can help prevent further slippage and further instability of the spine. Weight loss is a big one. If Again, if you think about it, um, most men, most, well, most people who have weight issues end up packing the weight in front 
where the, the lower abdomen is. So this puts this puts all this extra weight when they're walking on their lower spine, L4, L5, S1. So they can get rid of that extra weight. That takes a lot of weight off their lower spine and increases their chance of having slippage of the vertebral discs. You can also consider cortisone injections, but that is pretty limited. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad idea if you have the resources. Somebody has experience doing spine uh, the lower of the lower back. Surgery is always an option, and usually, again, like most surgical things uh, dealing with joints, it, it's the option when the pain is affecting the quality of life, or the treatments aren't working. Another option for surgery is neurosymptoms, obviously called equinus syndrome. Another co another cause of uh, surgery is the grade. So, from my understanding, if it's over grade two or three, you should consider surgery given the increased percentage. Thankfully, most patients, up to 90% of patients, won't require any surgical treatment, and they tend to have good outcome. Uh, so back bracing, the back exercises, and modifying their activities can be quite helpful. To summarize, spondylolisthesis is slippage of one of the vertebral bodies, usually anteriorly. There's many types of spondylolisthesis. The most common you should know about is ISMIC, which is seen in individuals younger than 50, usually young athletes, due to bilateral spondylosis or um, you know, a defect in the parasinterarticularis body. So there, the poor clinical pro there is if you're coming, if somebody, a young athlete comes in with intermittent low back pain, consider doing an imaging to rot spondylolisthesis. And then you have degenerative type, which is caused by osteoarthritis or degenerative disc disease. And that's common over 50. And because it's only because of structural deficiencies of the facet joints. This diagnosis is, is actually image based. So you need an x-ray. X-ray is gone the gold standard, or you can do a CT scan MRI if you have neurological conditions. But on clinical examination, you should suspect it in younger people who are active with intermittent low back pain and older people who are having neurological symptoms. Treatment is conservative and usually works quite well. 90% of patients will be helped by conservative treatments. So we're talking about modifying your activities. Maybe stop, maybe you have to stop playing the sport you're playing. Bracing the back, doing stabilizing back exercises. So a lot of core abdominal work. Losing weight to decrease the amount of strain on, on your lower back, and maybe cortisone injections. And obviously, you can give anti-inflammatories. Surgery is also an option. It tends to be quite successful compared to other back surgeries, but usually reserved for people who are having functional problems because of the symptoms and where nothing is working. Obviously, if they have aquina or progressive neurosymptoms, you will also get surgical management. And that's it. I hope that's helpful. Kevin, do you have anything to add? I always find doing any form of uh, imaging or investigations for back pain to be a bit of a, a murky field when you're dealing with patients and you're dealing with patient expectations. So in the emergency department, I often uh, try to stick quite closely to those red flags of low back pain that guide whether we should be ordering x-rays on people with uh, low back pain versus deferring that to the family physician. One thing that I always am cautious about myself when I'm reviewing x-rays 
ordering x-rays or discussing the findings on x-rays or MRI. Less commonly is CT. We generally use either plain films or uh, MRI, less so CT. But the big one that I try to always address is that just because we are seeing something on plain films, whether it's spondylolisthesis, whether it's degenerative changes, whether it's, you know, arthritis or, you know, you got an MRI that's showing spinal stenosis, is that actually linked to the symptoms that the patient is presenting with? So if you get a young athlete with low back pain and they're quite sore, if you've done your careful examination, you get x-rays and you see spondylolisthesis, I mean, does that necessarily mean that that spondylolisthesis is the cause of their pain? And so I'd be very cautious in attributing any form of uh, x-ray findings where you cannot determine its acuity to the symptoms that a patient is having, right? I mean, obviously, if the patient's tender in that area and you had an x-ray a week ago that didn't show the spondylolisthesis and now you've got a new x-ray, you know, showing it and they're sore there, well, yes, then it's easier to make that attribution. But if they've just come in saying, yeah, I've been sore in the last few weeks and you know, they're tender in the midline, but maybe they're tender in the paraspinal regions as well. Um, yeah, it gets a little bit harder to, to make that attribution. And what you really have to be cautious on is not you going down the wrong garden path, but also your patients, right? Because this can be quite distressing for patients. Any findings on spinal imaging can be distressing for patients. And if you explore the yellow flags of back pain, that's when you have to be even more cautious because uh, what you're want to avoid is scribing or sharing with your patient a bunch of abnormalities find on, found on x-ray or MRI um, that may have no clinic, clinical significance at all. I have patients who have, you know, evidence of, you know, terrible spondylolisthesis or um, a lot of arthritis or spinal stenosis, and they go walking about, you know, living their lives saying, well, I don't know, I don't really have any back pain uh, versus, you know, other patients that we have who have very near normal findings, but they have lots of back pain. So I try to be very, very cautious when I'm discussing these things with my patients. And it's interesting, I often will tell my patients about MRIs and I'll say MRI is almost too good a test because it finds too many small abnormalities that may have no bearing on your pain or your symptoms whatsoever. And the same can be said for even uh, x-rays of, of the lumbar spine. So that would probably be my only... Uh, insights to add to your talk, Dimitri, is just caution with regards to um, imaging and then caution around discussing the findings of that imaging for um, low back pain or spondylolisthesis. But uh, yeah, certainly if you can tie it to an acute event or injury, you know, and you, then it's easier to make that attribution. That's a very good point, Kevin. And again, if you, if you think about what I said, is ultimately only 10% of patients with this condition will come and complain about it. So the other 90%, theoretically, if you do an x-ray on them, well, you still you still see spondylolisthesis, but it's not really causing them trouble. So you have to be really careful. And it's it's tricky. I mean, ultimately, if their pain is, is in the upper back, obviously, uh, if they have spondylolisthesis, it probably has nothing to do with their pain. So it's tricky. It certainly is. The other thing I wanted to segue to, of course, as you know, Dimitri and I are prolific when it comes to starting projects. And one of our babies that we've been working on the last couple of years, and we're excited to be bringing it back again, is MD Empowerment. So we are returning to Toronto 
with our national conference, MD Empowerment, which is an educational event. It's now three days from June 1st to June 3rd, focusing on physician financial wellness. The big thing that makes us stand out compared to everyone else out there is that we have no ties to the finance industry. We do not take money or sponsorship from banks or investment houses. This is about physicians teaching physicians how to build true financial security. We bring in some great experts and some great guest speakers, and we would love to have uh, some of our Primary Medicine Podcast listeners come and join us. So again, you can find the link on the website, primarymedicinepodcast.com, or you can go to the website directly at mdempowerment.ca. Alternatively, and I know I'm doing this, I'm going to put my cell phone number out there. You can call me directly if you want to join. This is mostly for Canadian physicians. This is a lot of relevant tax and billing information. But my direct number is 780-802-9004. That's it. It's out there on the internet. But really, truthfully, it's a great conference. Everybody that's attended has absolutely loved it. And we get a lot of people that come back year after year. So we're looking forward to it again, June 1st to 3rd. So that's going to wrap up uh, my comments on low back pain and shameless plugs for MD Empowerment. Uh, I don't know if you have anything further to add, Dimitri. It's quite exciting. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us and uh, talk to everyone. We'll, we'll chat again next time. Sky